want to ask you something. What brought you here this morning? You know, you probably stayed up late if you're an LSU fan, or you probably were discouraged if you're a Bulldog fan. And both of those are probably good reasons to not come to church the next day. But what brought you here this morning? I don't know. That's not a good thing to be in my hands this morning. I don't sit there and click it the whole time. What, um, what brought you here this morning? I mean, why do we get up, get dressed, and come to church? And, you know, <clears throat> if you think about it, what is going to get people that we want to reach, what's going to get them to church? I mean, it's not going to be because we, at least not for the long term, it's not going to be because we're doing something so great in here that we're going to compete with what the world has to offer as far as entertainment. Uh, that may get them for a little while, and the music's really good, but it's not going to be what gets people in the long term coming in here. What What's going to get us in here and what unites us as a body of believers is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's when we sing those songs. We're not, know what we're singing. We're not singing. We're singing, you're all to us. We're not singing, I was good enough. You know, we're not singing how good we are, how, how well we did religion, how we finally did enough to measure up. We're singing the truths of the gospel, that what unites us is Christ is all to us. That we, we saw and we know our own unworthiness. Uh, we know that we uh, fall far short of God's glory for our life. And we were told, our eyes were opened to the truth that Jesus Christ alone makes us righteous as a gift. And the more we think about that, the more we think about how unworthy we are, how undeserving we are of that, the more we are thankful for the gospel the more we are thankful that Jesus makes us right with God, the more we are thankful that God sees us as saints when we are in Christ, that God doesn't sit there as a mean, mad God, mad that we're not perfect. He pours his love and his grace in our lives because we're hidden in Jesus Christ. That gets you out of bed in the morning. That gets you wanting to be with other people who've experienced that same amazing gospel of grace. That gets you willing to get out of your comfort zone and share the good news with someone. That's what unites us as believers, is we've been liberated from sin and from legalistic religion and rules uh, in the blood of Jesus Christ, and we've been united in Christ. And that's what the church is built upon. And as we've been studying Galatians, where we've been looking over the last several weeks about Paul is arguing for the, the truthfulness of his gospel, that message. And we saw a couple of weeks ago, not only did it come straight from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it also was one that he says, now, I also didn't get this from man. I didn't share, the, the apostles didn't share this with me. Christ shared it with me. And then last week we saw, however, the other apostles did agree that they had the same gospel message as Paul did. And the point last week that Ham did a great job of exposing was the gospel brings unity and liberty. And that's what we share in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we come to this passage today, which is just an unbelievable passage in Galatians 2, 11 through 14. And let me ask you something. If you've ever invited someone to church and you've done that several times, you've probably seen a repeated pattern of what people say, why they're not going to come. I am not coming to church because those are nothing but a bunch of, say it out loud, hypocrites. I'm not going in there. They're nothing but a bunch of hypocrites, right? I mean, that's probably the number one excuse for people to say, I am not going to church because they're nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. Well, guess what? 
In this passage, we see Peter, the chief apostle of the foundation of the Christian church, is a hypocrite. Paul calls him out on it. Look at Galatians 2, 11 through 14. Here's what Paul writes about this amazing scene that we see developed here. Paul says, but when Cephas, that's Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned for prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof for fear, fearing the party of the circumcision. Then the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. And when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of them all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, well, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Wow, it's an amazing scene of Paul calling out in front of all these people that he is being a hypocrite. Father, I ask for your help this morning. That by the power of your Holy Spirit, through your inspired scriptures, that you would help us be true, straightforward with the gospel and not be hypocrites. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, let's set the scene first of all. The setting is Antioch. This is the place where Christians were first called Christians. The first person mentioned in the story is, but when Cephas, that's Peter. His name is Cephas, Simon, Peter. In the, in the Bible, you've got three names. And he shows up on the scene. Now, who is Peter? Peter is the one who denied Jesus before the cross three times. When Christ needed him most. Don't you know him? Aren't you one of his followers? Oh no, I don't know him. Three times he denies him. Not not off to a good start with our understanding of who he is. But then after the cross and the resurrection, Jesus comes to Peter and says, I forgive you, man. It's not about what you've done in the past. Forget all that. That's covered by my blood. In fact, I'm going to use you and your gospel proclamation to be the rock bed foundation of this church. You're going to go and be a massive part of me building my church. That's who he chose. Someone who had a terrible past performance. So that's who Peter is. He's the rock of the church. A pillar. One of the apostles who saw the resurrected Christ. And was sent by Christ to go with that gospel message that we're talking about. That Jesus alone makes sinners right with God. Jesus spent 40 days in resurrected body with Peter. He said, look, look at me. He gave him many convincing proofs that he was the resurrected God, son of God and man. He, he explained to him the nature of the kingdom of God. This is what it's like. This is what my death and burial resurrection means. This is what my life meant. This is who I am and how it sets you 
unifies you in the gospel and liberates you from sin and from the laws and legalism. And so he explained those things to him. And then Peter led the first group of apostles as they watched Jesus ascend into heaven and they're standing there with their jaws open and the angels came down and said, don't just stand there. Take this gospel message out. He's going to come back to earth just like he left. But you go spread this good news. And so Peter gathers them and like 120 of them and he tells them all that he learned from Jesus and they're getting all excited about it and then they go as the Lord leads them and then the day of Pentecost happens and that's when the spirit came in power and the people were so filled with the spirit of God that people thought they were drunk and Peter said no they're not drunk they're not controlled by wine they're controlled by God's spirit and then he presents this gospel message and thousands upon thousands of people get saved through his gospel proclamation And then he goes and travels as God sent him out. And he goes town to town. And this is this ordinary man being used by God that so powerfully he would heal people. He even resurrected someone from the dead. And people were so impressed by the power of God in his life that they wanted just his shadow to come across him that they might be healed of disease. So God used this man of God who started out terribly. And he says, you take my gospel with you. And then one day, Peter, who was a faithful Jew, Peter knew the Mosaic law. You see, God had given this this group of people, the Jews, the Mosaic law and said, listen, here's some some ways to live. And as you live this way, I will identify myself to the nations through you. And one of the ways that people will know you're my people is you'll eat a certain diet And you will not mingle too much with them. You'll not intermarry so that you don't get caught up in their idolatry. But as you obey my laws, you will display the glory of God. This is what it looks like to live according to God's will. And it'll display God's glory to the nations. And so God gave them laws not to be made righteous, but to display the abundant life and the glory that is found in God. And so Peter knew these laws of don't eat certain meats don't mingle too much with these gentile sinners that they were called and and they were committed to these laws that god had given them and then one day god came to this peter and said peter was hungry on top of the roof and and god said eat eat all the meats were on display eat Don't call anything unclean or unholy anymore. And don't call any people unclean or unholy. Enjoy it all. About that time, Cornelius, a Gentile, non-Jew, sent some men and said, God told me to call you in. And so he went in and ate with them. And he says, you guys know this is unlawful for a Jew to be hanging out and eating with Gentiles. I'm really not cool with this, but God's telling me to come and hang out with Gentiles and eat with Gentiles. And in Acts, we see he was told, do not call any any man unholy or unclean in Acts 10, 28. And so he then explained, they, Cornelius said, well, what is God telling you? What, why do we have this encounter? Why did God bring us all together here? And he says, Jesus Christ is the one that makes you righteous. That's the good news. And Jesus makes us one in him. There's no longer Jew and Gentile. There's no longer all these dividing walls of the law. Let's be one in Christ. And people got saved in droves. And as Peter went around on his gospel mission, 
a denier to a proclaimer, he winds up in Antioch, where we are in this text. The next person mentioned in the story is, he says, I, in verse 11, opposed him to his face. The I here is Paul. Now, who is Paul? Paul was initially, his name was Saul. Saul was the Jew of all Jews, the chief keeper of the Jewish law and traditions. And see, they took that law, the Mosaic law, and over years and years, they twisted that law. And instead of it being a way of God's abundant blessing to to the nations and, and glory to God... They turned it into a means of a ladder of righteousness that if you keep these laws good enough, you can be made right with God. It's not that was never God's intent. But Saul was passionate about this and and he was so good at being a legalistic Jew and following the rules and passionate about it that he rose to the top of the ranks. And in fact, so that when Jesus came to town and proclaimed, I am the son of God and the Jews who believed what Paul believed crucified him. Paul made it his life mission to stamp out this message, this blasphemy. In the name of God, he was killing Christians and saying, this is a tragedy. This is not God's teachings. And so Saul, it says in the scriptures, was going and ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women. He would put them into prison. But one day, as he was heading to the town of Damascus to imprison men and women and children and beat them and flog them, after he had held the clothes of Stephen, who was stoned to death by, because he stood for Christ... This Saul stood there and held the clothes and gave authority to the killing of Stephen. Now he is going to Damascus. And suddenly we read in Acts 9, 3 through 4, a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground. And he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The resurrected Jesus Christ appeared to Saul, blinded him. And Saul was humbled To the point where he had to be led by the hands to the town of Damascus where God brought the gospel to him and opened his eyes to see that you were made right by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then Saul was renamed Paul and he became this massive missionary to spread this gospel, this glorious good news. But when Saul, the crucifier of Christians, shows up to a church, he doesn't get a warm reception, right? That's the dude that killed my cousin. That's the man who crucified Stephen. That's the man who's been persecuting believers. And so someone had to step up and say, no, he really is different. And that man's name was Barnabas. And Barnabas is in our story too. So Barnabas stands before the church and says, I'm vouching for him. Don't hold his past against him. Christ has forgiven him. He's a new creature in Christ. And he is here to share this good news of the glory of God available through Jesus Christ by grace. And so Paul and Barnabas become this powerful duo, this dynamic missionary team of spreading the gospel to Gentiles. And they're getting saved by droves. And it's just an awesome movement of the gospel, building the church on the foundation of these guys. And as Peter's sharing the gospel, as Paul and Barnabas are sharing the gospel, they converge in Antioch. 
And the gospels catch in flame where this small group or small community of Jews and this massive community of Gentiles, the gospel is is exploding. People are getting saved and they are just having a celebration. Their Jews and Gentiles are sharing a feast together. They're celebrating the love of Christ. They're they're amazed at how they can be together. And all these years we've been fighting against each other. I can just see them now sitting there sharing the meal and the aroma of this new new meal that these Jews no were not eating before. And I can see Peter sitting down and for the first time enjoying a pulled pork sandwich. Oh, he's going, wow, this is good stuff. And I can see Peter sharing, man, I was sitting there as this vision from the Lord and I thought I couldn't eat with you guys. And then... God showed me there's nothing unholy. There's nothing unclean. And the Gentiles are like, man, that's awesome. I can see Paul sitting there at the table, kicking back, and he's sharing through tears. Oh, man, I can't believe what I used to do to your families. I am so sorry. And they're saying, it's all right, brother. We're one in Christ. And it's just an awesome feast They were literally called the love feast because the love of Christ was so prevalent in their lives that the unity around the Christ and the glory of God and the grace that was binding these people who used to have the walls of division between them. The walls have been torn down and they are sharing love feasts with each other. And then as a part of these love feasts, Can you see the scene as they carried on the traditions that Jesus told them to pass down of the Lord's Supper, the last supper he shared with his followers before going to the cross where he took the bread and he said, this is my body that you will see on the cross. And he drank the the fruit of the vine where he drank the wine and said, this is representative of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember me every time you do this. Can't you see them? This massive celebration, this feast of Jews and Gentiles all mixed up in together. And don't you know, as they passed that one common loaf of bread and pulled and the thoughts that were going through their mind of who these people are, they're sharing this loaf with. Or perhaps they had one cup that they each touched to their lips and handed to the next These people who formerly despised each other, sharing of the same cup, the thoughts that were in their minds. This was a new day. The gospel was revolutionizing the culture. In Antioch, they were first called Christian. No longer did he say, I'm a Jew. I'm a Gentile. They came together and said, I'm a follower of Christ. That defines who I am. I am not defined by my past. I am not defined by my parents. I'm not defined by how well I kept religion. I'm not defined by the sins or the lack of sins in my life. I am defined by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's the gospel message. The gospel unites and liberates And it's a beautiful scene of celebrating the love of Christ, the unity and the liberty of Christ. Until. Until we get to verse 12. 
For prior to the coming of certain men from James, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. You see, I can see Peter sitting at the table, laughing, sharing stories, praising God, and then something catches his eye. He's trying not to let it distract him, but he sees a group of men coming in that he recognizes in the back of the room. And he's trying to enjoy the celebration, but one of them makes his way over to him, whispers in something in his ear that we're not told what they say. We don't know exactly who they are. They probably were men sent by James from Jerusalem, the religious elite. And they whisper something in Peter's ear, and now he's distracted No longer fully there present. He's trying to fake it, but he's distracted. His mind is elsewhere until finally people start, something's up. And so Peter dismisses himself to go to the restroom. And I can see that when he comes back, there's an empty chair. But instead of returning to his chair, he's off to the side, gathering with a couple of his other Jewish believers. And as they try to continue and act like nothing's going on, it starts to sink in. A a coolness enters the room and the love starts to dissipate and then finally the the jewish young man who was sitting next to peter had been watching his every move and learning from him he he says something's going on and so he gets up and he goes over to peter and he says what's up peter and and we just see he goes over there and then one after another people start well maybe this isn't right maybe we're not supposed to be mingling together maybe we're supposed to stay separate and so It says in the text that the Jews started following him. And so now instead of this beautiful picture of unity and liberty and love to the glory of God, you see some people start withdrawing and start pulling and start rebuilding those walls of division until the fact that Barnabas, Barnabas, the one who brought all this together in the first place, Barnabas, the one who stood in front of persecution and said, no, don't count that against him anymore. Even Barnabas was carried away to come over to the side. What a tragedy. What happened? Hypocrisy. One man's hypocrisy. What is hypocrisy? We can see a definition of hypocrisy in verse 13. He calls it hypocrisy. In verse 14, he divines defines hypocrisy as not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. That's what hypocrisy is. It's not living a life that is in line with the truth of the gospel. The idea, the word behind, the idea behind the word for hypocrisy is an actor who puts on two different faces. He knows who he truly is, but in order to play the part, he puts on a different face. And tries to be someone that he's not really. It's the idea of being insincere. Not being who you really are. Jesus called them hypocrites. The Pharisees who came to him. We read in the gospels about when they came to him. Trying to trap him. They said. Hey Jesus. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? And he calls them hypocrites. Because he knows they're not sincerely asking a question. Should I pay my taxes? They're being phonies. Two faced hypocrites trying to set him up to entrap him that's what a hypocrite is a hypocrite is two-faced insincere phony not truly living out who they are in the gospel 
Why is it such a big deal that in the middle of this crowd, when Paul shows up on the scene and he sees this withdrawal of Peter and then the Jews and then even Barnabas, that how, how could it be so serious that he would right in front of everybody say, how dare you, Peter? You who live like a Gentile, though you're a Jew, now you're going to stand over there and make them live like Jews to be able to hang out with you? That's, that's serious stuff. Paul is calling out the chief apostle on his hypocrisy in front of everyone. Why in the world would he make such a big deal about this? We don't know exactly who the party of the circumcised are and why Peter was so afraid. They may have been the Jews who were believers who were sincere and trying to protect everyone and warning them of danger. If you keep intermingling, unbelieving Jews are coming and they're going to persecute you and it's going to get ugly. Or maybe it wasn't so favorable or noble. Maybe it was just, uh, you need to quit. This is not looking good. Whatever the case may be, the point is the author says, don't get caught on that. You can fill in the blank. Whatever the reason that you are a hypocrite, it's wrong. I don't care how noble it sounds. The hypocrisy comes when we start operating like Peter. It says out of fear. Instead of out of a place of conviction of the truths of the gospel. When we allow the fear of man. Whether noble or ignoble. Anything that drives us by fear. As opposed to being driven and operating from a place of convictions of the truth of the gospel it is hypocrisy and it is devastating and we can see in the text three reasons why it is so serious first of all we can see how hypocrisy destroyed the beautiful unity of the church hypocrisy destroys unity in the church Peter was hanging out with these people and it was a beautiful thing. These young Jewish men are looking at Peter and they're following him and they're learning. This is awesome. The gospel liberates us to to love and to mingle with sinners like Jesus. Now I get Jesus used to eat with those sinners. I see this is a beautiful thing that They're not considered sinners any more than we are. We're all the same in the gospel. And that's the beauty of the gospel. We are made one in this truth that every single one of us is a sinner undeserving the grace and the forgiveness and the righteousness of God. And the moment we stop And we think that we did something to deserve his grace or that we did something to to mean that we can't be worthy of his grace. We are hypocrisy. We are hypocrites. And it divides because then someone walks in the church and there's a there's a spirit. There's a coolness over the church. There's not a warmth and a love. It's a legalistic judgmental spirit that says, let me measure you up. And decide whether you deserve to be here or not. Oh, look. Look who's here. Man. Or who they think they are. 
How could they come here? They need to clean themselves up before they get up in here. And it destroys the unity that a church enjoys and it cools the, the love of Christ and it divides and it erects walls of division and a judgmental spirit. And then people think, oh, what church is all about is being right. You want to be in here, you get right. And I'll tell you what's right. It's disgusting. Every member in our church commits before they join to be in a community group to say, I am here for you and you are here for me to live this Christian life together because we need each other. Let me ask you something. When Ham sent out the list of who you are with in community where we've done the best we could to to keep our hands off and let the world, let the Lord and the, the schedule put those together, what did you think when you got your list? Oh. can't have community with them. They're 30 years older than me. I didn't point you out. I can't have community with them. They're so different than me. We've got nothing in common. My kids, we... Or, oh man, this group rocks. We're all the same stage of life. We can ignorantly teach each other. The point is this. When we think that we have to have some affinity or common interest to be in community, that is hypocrisy. And it is devastating to the church. The church is built on the foundations that we are all sinners rescued by Jesus Christ. And that has so captivated our hearts that I say, yes, I don't care who you are. I don't care who your mom and dad are. I don't care where you've come from. I don't care what you've done in the past. We are one in Christ. And it is awesome unity to be enjoyed among believers. Hypocrisy destroys unity. Second reason it's so serious is hypocrisy destroys liberty. I mean, they were freed They had been set free to enjoy all this wonderful scene of celebration and love and commonness and enjoying each other and new foods and just new experiences. Set free. Life is not defined anymore as rules and religion. And and that, I mean, that is just miserable and legalistic, judgmental spirit. Every day waking up, hope I'm good enough. They've been set free from all that. Been set free, liberated from the penalty of their sin. Liberated from the wrath of God on sin. Not because they did anything, but because Christ did everything. And that's freeing and that's wonderful. And it's what gets us out of bed each day. It's what liberates us. It's what sets us free from whatever is, is, prison, is imprisoning us and holding us back. It's beautiful. And with one fail swoop... Peter starts to throw that all back on them. Starts to build those walls back up. Starts to imprison them and chain their ankles and and say, no, you're not free. 
It's what we tend to do with the beautiful commands of the Scripture. The commands do this and don't do this in the Scripture are wonderful blessings from God. As long as you understand them rightly. Commands do this and don't do this are curbs on the path of blessing. Here's the path of blessing. Here's the blessed life. Here's abundant life. Enjoy all my benefits. Stay out of this problem. Stay away from this. It'll destroy you. Feed your spirit with these things. This is the path of abundant life. Know these. Meditate on these. Walk in these ways. And enjoy the liberty of God. And then instead, we say, let's turn this instead of curbs down a path, let's turn this into a ladder of self-exaltation. Let's, let's turn this into a way that you're really good enough to be here if you didn't look at porn last night or if you didn't drink too much or if you've never done drugs or if you've gone to church enough that you know what you're supposed to look like and you know how to clean yourself up. And if you read your Bible enough and do all these good things enough, if you choose all the right behaviors and refrain from these, then it's going to be okay here. You belong. And everyone in the church is secretly thinking, I don't belong. Because I know what they don't know. And I sure am not going to let anyone know about my sin. It destroys liberty. To say, I'm a sinner. In Christ, you're set free to be humble and admit, I don't have it all together. If it wasn't for Christ, I would be worthless. Here's where I'm struggling. Can you help me? Can you pray for me? Can you, you got any words of wisdom from the word? Can you guide me? It's a radically different place. The commands are not the cruel taskmaster taskmaster of a God who wants you to be miserable. It's like you do for your children. If you're blessed to have children, you say, here, this is a path that's good for you. It's not, hey, if you keep these, I love you. Hypocrisy destroys the liberty that we enjoy as believers. It destroys unity for believers. It destroys liberty for believers. But finally, hypocrisy destroys the witness of believers. Peter, Paul, Barnabas were all in Antioch because they were on the gospel mission to say, hey, we're one in Christ. We're, we're free in Christ. Christ alone And all of that started to unravel when Peter pulled out and stood to the side. And then one by one, they started walking away. What did those Gentiles outside who had been watching, had a friend or a brother or a cousin join the feast and seeing their lives transformed by this glorious gospel and just watching it going, hmm, this is pretty interesting. Maybe there's something to this. Until Peter steps aside and one by one they start walking away. And what do they say then? That's what I thought. That's exactly what I thought. 
ain't nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. We need to understand that when the people outside say about the church, they are nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. What they are probably saying is, they sin just like me, but they act like they don't. And that is not the gospel message. The gospel message... What we better be known for in here is not, I am better than you because I have cleaned myself up and I don't sin like you. That is disgusting. That is garbage. What we better be known for is, man, we're all the same. We're sinners, but I've found something out. I can be made right with God through Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. That frees you up to share the gospel. When that's your message, you're free to share the gospel. When your message is, I'm better than you, you are not going to share that gospel because you know it's a lie. I was on a plane last week going to that conference that I told you about. And I've heard so many stories in church that Pastors talk about witnessing on planes, and it's just in my head. When I'm on a plane, I have got to share the gospel. I ain't a true Christian if I don't. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I, I want to read this, what I just got from the conference. I'm so excited about that, and I got a free book, and I'm reading it, and I got plugs in my ear, literally earplugs in my ear. If that's not a sign of don't talk to me, I don't know what it is. And so I was sitting there reading my book, and I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to share the gospel with this guy. And I'm like, Lord, why, why don't I want to share the gospel with him? And so I started thinking about it, and there was a little twinge of, yeah, awkwardness. If I talk too loud, they're going to hear me, and it's going to be awkward. And there's a little twinge of that. But as I sat there and thought, Lord, why, what is the resistance it came to me that I was focusing on the command instead of the gospel. I was thinking, I'm supposed to share, I'm supposed to share, I'm supposed to share. Instead, I thought, what is the gospel? You say the gospel's the answer to everything? All right, let's see it. And so I started focusing on, Lord, I am unworthy of your grace. And you died for me. And you cleansed me of all unrighteousness. And you've made me holy in your eyes by Jesus Christ. And I started getting excited. Pulled him out. Started a conversation. Hey, man, what's up? Where are you heading? Uh, going here, going to Shreveport, Barksdale. Got a son over there. Oh, that's great. Got to the point where I was like, well, so where are you from? You coming from? Yeah, okay. Ended up sharing with him. He was a believer. But I shared with him the, the gospel that Paul talks about. And the reason he said, I have not been in church in many, many, many years is because everyone in there is a hypocrite. They're all about this and they're all about that. And it's garbage. And I said, brother, you're right. There's a lot of garbage. But you need to find a church, not because it makes you right with God, not because it earns righteousness, because it's awesome. When you find a church that gets the gospel right. And it was so encouraging to him and so encouraging to me. 
The true gospel frees us to share it with others. If we're going to reach Shreveport, Bossier, we got to get this gospel right. Because nobody's coming up in here after watching LSU last night to hear me talk. I can promise you that. If they don't know Jesus yet. The only way we're going to reach people with this gospel is if you're eating with sinners. And you get the gospel right while you're eating with them. And they want to know more about it. And they come in here and they go, whoa. There's Gentiles and Jews all together. They're all viewing each other the same in Christ. And they love each other. This is cool. And they like do life together. I want to know more about this Jesus. Hypocrisy destroys the witness of the church. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the true gospel of Jesus Christ. That we are all made right. Sinners made right by the blood of Jesus. Lord, help us to be one in this gospel. Help us to be free in this gospel to go and eat with sinners. And I use that term the way it is in the scriptures that we're all sinners. May we be free to eat with anybody. Get to know them and love them and share this gospel that, hey, we're all sinners, but Christ alone makes us right with God. Lord, help us to identify people in our life that need to know that wonderful message. Free us up to know that we're not saying I'm better than you. We're saying I am just like you, but Christ saved me. That we will go out in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our workplaces, and into the nations with that gospel. Use us, Lord. Use the gospel to turn us from wretched sinners to proclaimers of your good news. And it's in Christ we pray. Amen.